the secular world is going to continue to produce its own culture. Yeah. And that is going to, whether you realize it or not, it's going to influence the entire society. I would say we've already lost a culture war. People yeah. talked a lot today a lot about the culture war. They don't realize culture war was lost decades ago when they're not participating. Yeah. And eventually, I think any generation that's had so much of that where it's been overdone is going to swing in an opposite direction. Oh, the pendulum swings all the time. Hey there, I'm Matthew Foley and this is ISO Insights, where God's truth grows in the midst of current culture, renewing the mind and spirit. I know you're a very interesting man. Let's talk about some of your interests before oh, we hype I'm not your that job description. No. Uh, oh, well, don't sell yourself short. Well, I'm, uh, you know, going back to sort of my, my specialty in college and everything, very, very involved in literature. I read mm-hmm. a lot. Um, fiction and nonfiction. My Bible as much as I can. Uh, Did you grow up with TV? Uh, some, yeah. Some. Yeah, okay. I had a, was, a very strict household, so I was somewhat I gotcha. limited. But so yeah. lim- I, I just know that uh, you know I've grown around different people, different kind of uh, evangelical American families. The way it is here is uh, if you have somebody, some families will have no TV. You know, but you get well, strict holiness. We had no, we had no internet, which is unusual. Really? For, yeah. So we uh, wow. very rural. Uh, yeah, not not high yeah. income, and so I didn't have internet until I moved to college. Yeah, that's wild. So like that, but to me that seems to be something that came that that was a cause for the interest in books and being yeah. so well read. A lot of physical media for sure. Yeah. yeah. So you you have this interest in literature. Yeah, I, I love literature and movies. Um, I, I write as a side hobby. I like mm-hmm. to write fiction. Not planning on ever publishing it necessarily, just just you. for fun. Um, I do a lot of outdoor stuff, so I have two mm-hmm. big old German shepherds that you've met. Oh, yeah. Uh, Argos and Penny. Argos and Penny, yeah. yeah. And uh, so I, I take them running a lot, take them, take them on hikes. Yeah. German shepherds are smart, man. They're smart. They're, oh, they're, smart. they're smarter than me half the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but very loving, gentle giants. Oh, loving in, in that they're incredibly loyal. Yeah. They would, I have no doubt in my mind, they would lay their life down for me. Uh, yeah. Love them to death. I would do that. I, I, I like a lot of outdoorsy stuff. Uh, I go to the gun range a lot, yeah. shoot clays. Uh, you go hunting? Kind of stuff. Uh, occasionally. Uh, I'm not much of a hunter. I don't have anything against it. Just yeah. never. I didn't grow up with that sort of background. Um, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. My, I mean, my family didn't hunt. My family's all from uh, inner city Baltimore. Oh. And so even though I grew up pretty rural, um, yeah. it was just not a background I had. I gotcha. I gotcha. Man, well, that's it's so interesting. You know, you have uh, all these different things. You could have gone so many different directions with your career. Uh, yeah, I definitely did, and I'm thankful that I had the opportunity to do so. Yeah, yeah. And uh, now, here you are at ISO. You know, I remember being in a staff meeting, and uh, we, we usually just call it the writing team, the writing team. Yeah. Uh, but at some point, somebody, I, it was you, I think, uh, we were talking about. I can't remember in the staff meeting, but we were. You know, we'll have a lot of these moments where we break off on a tangent or mm-hmm. we just kind of start informally talking about something. You mean the tangent meeting that sometimes has an agenda attached to it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, it's like it's just uh, we, we have our talking points, but then somebody will grab hold of a subject and we'll just go off into the distance yep. with it for a little bit. Yep. And you had mentioned the writing team as the course, the content development team. Uh, yeah, that's sort of that's how what I, it was. Well, and when I say content development, I, I like to include... Um, because there's a, a huge start-to-finish process uh, of developing something into an ISO course. Yeah. And that includes video editing, includes graphic design, includes uh, web development and all that. And so even though I'm not 
technically a manager of all the people who do all of those different tasks. I am kind of a facilitator mm -hmm. um, for for a lot of that. So I consider that the content development yeah. part of our job, and the writing team obviously is a, a big part of that. Um, what's the most challenging? I'd say what's the what's the highest stress that you experience in the job I, description? I don't have a whole lot of stress. Uh, for me, probably more than anything is the uh, <laughs> the interaction with the public. Oh. I don't hate people at all. It's <laughs> a disclaimer. Let me just say up front, I don't hate people. Don't uh, hate people, but <laughs> I, I don't like getting put on the spot. I got you. You know. So we, we all wear a lot of hats here. It's a small, as you know, you know, you're part yeah. of my rating team and you're also, you're also an instructor. You yeah. also, you do voiceover, you do a lot of mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, uh, I think everybody with a, something this small that starts up has to wear multiple hats. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. And we got, yeah, the the guy who's running the, the camera today, Ryan. Oh yeah, Shout he's out there. to him, he does. He's there. He is the backbone of everything we do here. Yeah, so. that's right. He's he, he's keeping it uh, going. Yep. Yep. So I know, there's uh, there's this uh, you'd mentioned to me because you you talk about things that are high stress and I think when you have people coming in even live streams have to be high stressed yeah. for the job because while something's going how do I put this with an editor your job's to catch things right but as it's flowing out there must be like this horror when there's something you couldn't catch, <laughs> but it's yep. going out there. Oh, and so so often it happens, and it's it's not the instructor's fault, but when you're presenting something live, yeah. I mean, technically it is their fault. Oh, <laughs> I don't I don't blame them for it. It happens to everybody. Yeah, uh, it does. You know, you're gonna you're gonna get factual errors in what you say out loud when you're presenting live. Absolutely. Uh, and you're gonna say all kinds of stuff. You're gonna go off on tangents. Um, and so our job, or my job specifically as editors, is sort of go back and catch mm -hmm. everything I can. As we develop outlines, course curriculum, quizzes, and that sort yeah. of stuff, yeah. I want to make sure that we're we're factually correct, um, wow, clean, and everything. Uh, but and yeah, it's it's quite a process, and sometimes you'll get some speakers in particular that are, you know, it's a headache to <laughs> to make them coherent. But. Yeah, well, and that that has to do with personality, though. Yeah, a lot of it's personality because everybody's good at something, but if you're really good at being analytical and uh, tracing down information, you can become so invested mentally in what you're talking about that you're, you're just, your brain's not going to focus on how it's coming across at all. Yeah. You're yeah. just thinking about the information. For sure. Um, and you have people all kinds of, uh, they're all over the spectrum of personality. And there are some people that are, and I think this is more preaching and teaching in the church, yeah. but they're more personality than content, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's like they have very more atmosphere compelling. than... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, more atmosphere yeah. than... Which, uh, I mean, it definitely has its place. Those people know how to yeah. make you feel something. They know how to make you interested in what they've, what they've learned. Yeah, yeah, and, and feeling is very interesting because now we have something going on in the American culture where, oh... I think because of Protestantism, it's fragmented because you have all kinds of different churches and they have different emphases on mm -hmm. different things. Yeah. So you have people in one church that are heavily analytical and mm -hmm. you have people in another church that are extremely feeling experience motivated, very yeah. uh, wanting to feel something about God or some truth in the some Bible. connection with God, yeah. And eventually, I think any generation that's had so much of that where it's been overdone mm -hmm. is going to swing in an opposite direction. Oh, the pendulum swings all the time. Yeah. 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 So with that, a lot of that's about expression, mm -hmm. culture, culture of individual denominations, culture of 
the church at large. So what about America? And what, what, what do you think about the Christian arts? Because arts has always been a major thing in Christianity. That's something I'm very passionate about is actually, I don't know if I would call it the revitalization, uh, but a sort, of, a sort of focus on mm-hmm. the arts as a Christian community. I definitely feel like um, a lot of, particularly evangelicals, have sort of lost sight of the, the history yeah. and the significance uh, of art. Um, a lot of people tend to think of art as just sort of this, it's a luxury, you know, it's something you do. Mm-hmm. If you have extra time or money, you can partake in art. Wow. Uh, and I think a lot of people don't realize the role that art, and when I say art, I don't mean just visual art, I mean literature, I mean movies, everything. Um, but art plays such a powerful role in shaping the culture and people's mm-hmm. ideas about things. Uh, and I think a lot of Christians have have let that sort of go. And now you have Hollywood, which has a stranglehold on a lot of American culture. Yeah. And they've got their own ideas about things that no longer align in any way, basically, with, yeah. with Christianity. At all. I mean, uh, completely at enmity. Like, yeah. completely the opposite of yeah, what Christianity is. in most cases, says. yeah. And... Well, that that's what's extremely interesting because the two sermons that you would get in Christianity in the last a hundred years, let's say before the nineteen sixties even. Mm-hmm. So my background is Pentecostal, charismatic. Mm-hmm. I know yeah, your background at Lee, I'm sure you came into contact with Pentecostals, yeah. kind of had a, a charismatic immersement there. Yeah. Um your background's like I Baptist Presbyterian, am I right? Yeah. Yeah, in, yeah, in those kind of backgrounds, those are the church groups, and and so now you're kind of like non-denominational, but yeah. uh, you know, believe in the gifts of the spirit, that kind of thing. Yeah. Also, uh, you have, I'd say, an affection for some of the kind of classical evangelical culture in yeah. America, yeah. Um, and see a lot of value in that. Well, here in America, with that culture being the dominant one for so long. And now we see such a shift happen. Mm-hmm. But before that shift took place in the 1960s, when it came to entertainment, and I think most preachers in America, the, the arts is entertainment. Right. It is right. in this nation. And the preaching on the arts was it's evil or yep. it's not, you know, give or take. It can be, it's not it's sin. It's something you can do without, it's something you can isolate yourself from. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's... Not only is it something you can isolate, I, it's like, well, we're, we like it, it's fun, and we don't want to condemn it. That's a big strong, I think right. that's the general view now. Or, or you know, here is X and Y particular piece of media, and oh, that's bad, avoid that. And, you know, yeah. fair enough, there are definitely cases. But there, there is definitely a sense of, uh, of separation of mm-hmm. art is its own thing that is not necessary to what we do as believers, what we do as higher calling yeah. and all this. But where in the talk is we have to produce art. We yeah. have to be involved in entertainment. We have to be putting forth something that's compelling for people. Well, and that and that comes into, I think, like I said, uh, I, I think especially the last several decades, mm-hmm. the Christian community, particularly the American evangelical community, has sort of taken for granted um, that they they have to take part in, well, I would say we've already lost a culture war. People yeah. talk a lot today a lot about the culture war. They don't realize culture war was lost decades ago when they're not participating. Uh, yeah. Because the secular world is going to continue to produce its own culture. Yeah. And that is going to, whether you realize it or not, it's going to influence the entire society. It's yeah. going to influence ideas about economics. It's going to influence 
you know, politics, spiritual beliefs, mm-hmm. you know, th- these these very fundamental um, things in society. And, and people really take for granted how big of an impact art and what you consume has to do with that. Wow. There's, um, in history, in Christian history, there's always been this big tension about imagery. Yes. That's what's super interesting. And it's the reason is because God in the Ten Commandments said, you shall have no other gods before me. And he says, you shall yeah. not make a graven image. But also, God does this thing where we have a serpent that's on a brazen cross, like a brazen serpent that's used for people's Very healing. powerful image. Yeah. yeah. We have cherubim, mm-hmm. which are uh, guarding over the Holy of Holies. Mm-hmm. So there's still imagery. Oh, God loves art and imagery. Yeah. I mean, just look at how Jesus taught. How did he teach most of the time? Imagery. Stories. Parables. Wow. Those were not real things that happened. He yeah. was not telling real stories there. He was making up characters. Wow. He, he was very much fiction. Uh, so, so Christ himself taught, I wouldn't say almost primarily, but, I mean, a significant portion of his teaching was fiction. Wow. Uh, and it does... That's, this, a, that's those, perspective right there. Th- those parables do the same thing that our stories do today which is they'll find like an archetypal character. Mm-hmm. That's what stories have always done. They'll, they'll distill complex ideas into a character, whether it's a character on a screen, or a book, uh, that represents something, and then those characters will go through a conflict. Wow. Uh, and there, there's some sort of lesson at the end. And every story does that, whether you realize it or not. Do you think like that, that the reason that that's so effective? Because fiction's extremely interesting. Mm-hmm. Because it didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't we're, happen. We're fabricating, if you will. Some people, they could try to say fabrication's a type of lie. I don't right. think that's true necessarily. But they're making something up that didn't occur. But, but it's still true. If, because Jesus uses parables. Right. So is there a value in detaching people from an event that actually took place? Do you think it actually creates uh, the ability for them to objectively look at something behind the events of life that's, that they've experienced? That's definitely what I think it, it plays at. Is wow. When you, when you detach it from, like you said, an actual historical event or mm-hmm. an actual current living person, it doesn't have to be. But when you do that, I think it really makes this sort of perspective of this could be anybody this wow. could be any time, any situation, and here's here's what this plays out at. So it's a it's a concept yeah. that you're displaying, and it's it's true, but it's not yeah. actual. So I think that's maybe why Star Wars, like George Lucas's original trilogy, had so much traction. He he talked about um, distinct from Star Trek and that whole culture mm-hmm. was. He said, I'm trying to tell an ancient story, but so far remove it from anything that would be familiar to the, the modern hero reader that it's just foreign. Like right. it's, like a, it's like a fantasy story, right. but its setting is kind of futuristic. But he wasn't really concerned with that. But it became extremely popular mm-hmm. because it had those motifs that people had read in all kinds of stories beforehand. Right. It was the ancient hero's journey, you know. You got a, a call to action. You got a, a tragedy. You have a young idealistic mm-hmm. hero who has to go on a journey and learn. They have to learn from mentors. They have to learn through loss. Wow. Uh, and then they have to overcome, you know, very powerful conflict uh, by by learning, you know, sort of ancient values, like you said, yeah. of, of trust and wisdom. And so, I, I mean, it definitely Star Wars is a very good example, like you said, of a. Uh, sort of archetypal story that has classical appeal to, I mean, timeless appeal, rather. Wow. 
At ISO, we always strive to provide discounts and incentives for our students. Now, we're thrilled to announce our best value ever, the ISO All Access Pass. For just $99 per month, any student can access our entire learning platform. An ever-expanding library of fascinating, groundbreaking teaching at your fingertips for the average price of just one ISO course. There has never been such a prime opportunity to pursue your biblical education. Students in many traditional schools pay $100 to learn every day for every single course. With the All Access Pass, that amount gives you access to our entire course catalog. At ISO, you can learn from world-class teachers on a wide variety of subjects, all at your own pace. With the subscription-based model of the All Access Pass, there are no obligations to put yourself in debt for decades. If you're hungry to learn about the Word, there's never been a better value. That's countless hours of teaching and materials with no limit on how much you can learn. Now, more than ever, ISO is excited to connect the Word with the world. Go to isow.org to get started with the All Access Pass today. You talk about culture. I'll, I'll say this and then be quiet for a little bit for you. No, don't be quiet. But, uh, <laughs> uh, see this movie, saw this movie the other day with my wife. It was over the weekend, and it was an Eddie Murphy movie. Uh, it was back in 2012. Mm -hmm. uh, see, I, I caught him by surprise because I mentioned a movie before we uh, started uh, film, and it's I'm not talking about that right now. But there was an Eddie Murphy movie. I was going to say, Eddie Murphy's <laughs> in Top Gun? <laughs> left, left field here. We'll talk about Top Gun, we'll talk about Top Gun soon, soon enough. But uh, Eddie Murphy in 2012, he had this movie. I cannot remember what the name of it was. But in this movie, there's this tree that has leaves and they fall every time he speaks a word. And he has like a thousand words left at one oh, point before he dies. And it's supposed to be kind of this new age spiritual leader who guided him into this encounter with this tree. But this leader, uh, after this, uh, this tree bonds itself to him, goes off to somewhere in the world in this conference with other spiritual leaders from the East. And he's supposed to figure out what the problem is. When he comes back, you know, so I'm bracing myself in this entire movie for it to have some weird new age kind of self-realization thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but when he comes back, he actually says to Eddie Murphy, I have no idea how to help you. I don't know what the answer is. Unfortunately, the end of the movie still kind of gives credit to this new age leader. I'm like, okay. Yeah, Postmodernist. Yeah. Sort of, uh, yeah. But when he says to him, I don't know how to help you, Eddie Murphy has to go and figure out what it is in his life that's giving him so many hang-ups hang with selfishness, with his own family. Uh, and he actually had his, a father that left him when mm -hmm. he was a kid. And the, before the end of the movie, he has to return to his father's grave mm -hmm. and say, I forgive you because his father already passed away. Mm -hmm. And he had this bitterness and hatred towards his father for not being there while he grew up. Uh, but I thought that was so interesting because, of course, Jesus preaches that before God can forgive you and can transform your heart, you have to forgive others of their sins against you. Definitely. So I was like, well, there's a, there's a Christian message here, but that's hidden away in a movie. Yeah. Now, if you look at a lot of instant streaming services, the messages behind them are extremely negative. Yeah. Like just straight up, that, very depressing. That's something, yeah, that's something I was going to talk about is... So I, I was going to get into this later with, uh, you know, I mentioned the zeitgeist. Uh, but we, we can work backwards and talk about that later. But if you yeah. look at a lot of our, our art and our literature now, particularly in the Western world, it's got a very pessimistic um, wow. uh, message at the end of a lot. So we've had 
you know, if you've paid attention to sort of the trends, um, we've had a lot of post-apocalyptic stuff yeah. starting in the early 2000s. Um, but there was always a little bit of a, a sense of, well, this can't last. What we have going on right now can't last. There was some fragility after yeah. 9-11, after the, the recession, uh, where people were like, well, this is, this is all going to go away. People were afraid it was going to disappear. You know, they saw how fragile society was. Wow. But then there, there was still this, this uh, sort of atmosphere of, well, there's got to be somebody carrying the torch. So, like, I wrote down a couple of movies that, I, that came to my mind, like The Book of Eli, wow. um, The Road. I don't know if you've read The Road, well, McCarthy. I think, you know, because I know you want to hop into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, can, but we can slow down. you had, I, I know that uh, you, because your interest in literature, there's something interesting. It actually has to do with government and the church. Yeah. in the Western world. Yeah. Of course, like we talked about the, the law of Moses, when the Puritans and these groups, the constitu- not constitutionalists, but the Congregationalists and Puritans established in America, yeah. separated from the Church of England. Of course, the Church of England was called like this midway between Calvinism and Catholicism. That's right. right. Well, I, to, <laughs> I, I popped my mic real quick, real good there. Uh, but the, uh, the Anglicans are supposed to be this midway between Calvinism and Catholicism. Kind of, yeah. And... Yeah. When uh, that occurred in history, people broke broke off from that because of imagery, things that they thought were too Catholic, the imagery in the church. Mm -hmm. But the Catholic church and Christian tradition landed on art being okay. Doubled down on it. Doubled down because of two things. Well, you know, and we may not agree with venerating images (laughs) like here, but the idea was because Jesus became a man— and became a physical form, mm-hmm. there has been some validity. And I'm sure they, they use stories from the Old Testament, like we mentioned before, about the brazen serpent and these images that still were used. Right. But they weren't the object of devotion. However, God used them to communicate very something powerful holy. powerful language and imagery. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very deep in our psyche, yeah. So what do you think about Christians, through history, Christians' use of imagery? Oh, there's, there's a lot of uh, implications I think you can draw from looking... And particularly in, in reference to the, the church, what I'm talking about is mostly European history. So I'm sure other people with knowledge of other parts of the world have different perspective. But, you know, particularly with Western Europe, um, there, there was really a, a, I would say, very fascinating, uh, if you look at art and its, its sort of ebbs and flows, mm-hmm. especially in the church. So I think the Christian church kind of was influenced very heavily by the Roman Empire. Yeah. So the Greeks and the Romans uh, highly valued patronage to artists, very skilled people who would dedicate their whole lives to art. Uh, and so in, you know, in high courts and stuff, there would be people paid to live as philosophers and artists. They'd be highly famed. Um, and a lot of that was lost uh, when the Roman Empire fell. Uh, and, you know, as Europe splintered, mm-hmm. you know, the Middle East splintered, People were just trying to figure out, you know, it was a very tumultuous time. People were figuring out what the new kingdoms were going to be. Uh, and so they went from the wealthy and powerful using artists to artists are just kind of whoever can, can happen to make art. Wow. And then... Um, Is that good or bad? Well, <laughs> you know, I mean, who's to say? You know, it's, yeah. it's kind of, you know, there's, there's these ebbs and flows you see through history. And then so medieval art, you know, around the time of, you know... The, the Christian church becoming the dominant cultural force, you know, after Constantine mm-hmm. and that sort of era, early church fathers. Medieval art was very, like you said, going back to iconography, it's very basic. 
mm-hmm. uh, very like for the peasantry. So it went from really being the upper class nobles. Here's these you know very detailed sculptures that took you know 13 years to make, and they're mm-hmm. in a palace. To all of a sudden, the art was very basic stuff that you could be paraded around villages and teach people. Yeah, so was that happening before the Renaissance? That the common yeah, that, that was that was medieval era church. Wow. So early, you know, um, and so I think there's a lot to, to be said about that of this very basic art that was sort of a humble iconography. Like you said, it goes back to um, symbolism being very powerful mm-hmm. basic force. And so you had a lot of these people were highly un- uneducated very isolated after the fall of Rome and that sort of medieval era. Wow. You had tons of different villages and provinces. Yeah. Sorry, when, I'm, when I'm you going can't on a bit read, of a rant. But when you can't read, all you have are imagery exactly. to communicate truth to you. And the vast majority of the people at that time couldn't read. Yeah. Wow. But I think it's interesting because I, how do I say this? So the Bible, the, the God of the Hebrew people, when you read, obviously our God, you know, but yeah. in the Old Testament, the emphasis on words, I don't think is a mistake. Oh, no. Because it seems to me God will do something where he'll uh, prioritize one thing, and then after a group of his people, his covenant people, have really established a culture around that thing, then he'll move to something Upturn else. Turn it, yeah. So he'll say, he'll allow them to worship on high places because he's teaching them to worship. But after they finally gotten a rhythm to mm-hmm. worshiping, he says, no more high places. Now you have to worship in a single city every year. Because he's saying there. now the high places have become a distraction in their own right. Yeah. yeah. And so the, he says, okay, here's the law. Okay, law causes people to realize they have no ability in themselves to resist sin. Yeah. Now he says, here's the new covenant. So what if there was this thing in culture where God prioritizes written words and the the recording the medium of writing yeah. over the medium of imagery until the primary mode of his communication is established which is the written word yeah and then once people have built their foundation on that they're able to step not into worshiping images but into using imagery to communicate because i think imagery That's obviously preceded yeah. words but the bible was pinned at a time when literary ability, I think, was escalating in human history. Well, at different times of, of the Bible's writing, obviously. Yeah. So you got, you know, keep in mind the the New Testament was written by mostly educated people mm-hmm. who would at that time have been exceptionally educated, you know, Paul, Luke, all yeah. of them. Yeah. Um, and the Old Testament, you know, that, that's a very that's a very good point because a lot of a lot of the Old Testament focuses on very humble you know, pastoral yeah. type of people. And by the way, I, I just threw that out right here. Yeah, right that, now. that's something I'd never, <laughs> I never never considered. Uh, but Very you interesting know, question. I do think there clearly is a priority over writing in the Bible. Yeah, you know, all Scripture is given by inspiration. Well, if we go back to the very beginning. God created with words, and yeah. that's very intentional that He puts that in there. Because yeah. I, I think what he's, I mean, there's a lot of stuff you could say about, obviously, it's a huge topic yeah. getting into Don't the creation want to story. That. But, but I mean, God creates with words because. He, you know, he's showing you speak things into being. It's very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, words inform pictures, you know. Yeah. And we have uh, Gutenberg right at the, uh, uh, he, he develops the printing yeah, the press. press. And that happens around the time of the Protestant Reformation occurs. Yeah. And then you have this idea of democracy, the dissemination it's of knowledge. Fascinating. So, and, and up to that point, you know, sort of between uh, that and the medieval era was the Renaissance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what you'll see is it kind of went back to, I'm sorry, sorry to sort of backtrack on what you're saying there, but, you know, so it went back to sort of the emphasis on 
the Roman Empire. Uh, they were very influenced. They wanted to sort of be yeah. second Rome again. Uh, but the, the emphasis on the arts and the patronage. Mm-hmm. So you had people who dedicated their whole lives to art and the church was paying them. Because now you have this church, which is now as big as what the Roman Empire used to be, this institution wow. that's able to support full-time artists. Mm-hmm. So you, that's when you have all the cathedrals, you know, Victorian wow. era, you know, all that. You have massive art that's meant to be, you know, visually um, yeah. reminiscent of God. And yeah. it's supposed to be uh, an atmosphere of holiness. One of the best examples I've ever heard was, yeah. you know, imagine you live in a world where you're just... <laughs> I don't want to be too graphic, but you know, you're dealing with animals mm-hmm. and stink and mm-hmm. perfumes are expensive. So you're used to a certain like uh round of, yeah, yeah. a certain <laughs> group of smells and sights yeah. and it's very common and you got hay in the streets and, and you're very rugged living conditions. Yeah. And then suddenly you step in on Sunday during mass pristine in marble. This gorgeous yeah. edifice with these tall build, this tall building pointing to heaven, and you smell this incense, mm-hmm. and you have imagery that's depicting what's supposed to be depicting heavenly sights, mm-hmm. saints who are currently alive in heaven. And so people will get lost on the, the, the reverencing side where people seem to pay too much interest to these images or worship them or kiss them or whatever, whatever we right. may say Which here can in America. Happen, yeah. And it can, it happens every day. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the, at that time, the overwhelming emotion that people had was because they felt they were being transported to a heavenly realm. Right. They're, they're seeing these sort of divine ideas in front of them, if yeah. you will. And that, that, at least that was the intent, was here's this, this divine sort of, here's, here's kind of God created us as higher thinking beings yeah. capable of these great skills. He gave us these great skills to create wonderful works and imitate him. It's part of what I believe, part of what makes us in the image of God is our ability to create, obviously on a much more temporal scale. Yeah. But I, you know, I think there's a lot to be said, obviously, about being created in the image of God. But that that sort of uh, ability to to rationale, ability to mm. to create new things in art, is very much, I think, part of God's God's ultimate design for humanity. Wow. And le- uh, closing out here with a question, leading into this next part two session we're going to have, which focuses yep. more on the arts and culture. Uh, what do you think about the way that arts and media is going with it being, we'll just say, hyper-democratized, mm-hmm. like where through the Internet so many people are, and I'm, I'm going to tell you the honest truth, a lot of uneducated people, mm-hmm. people, uh, and I don't want to even use the word uneducated, a lot of people that have very underdeveloped ways of thinking. Because mm-hmm. you may have someone that's not formally educated, uh, but right. who's actually a very self-taught, very wise person. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, with, with that being said, what do you, how do you think the way of things is going? I think, like I said, it, it's very much a fluctuation. And if you, if you look at history, the patterns are very clear. It goes mm-hmm. up and down where, you know, Fall of Rome, it goes back to the big regular people. Rise of the church, it goes back to very high-level artistry. Wow. And then, right, like you said, we were getting into Protestantism in the press. It goes back to the regular people. Then you have people reading the Bible in English, making art. And you have, you know, with democracy, talking about the democratization of art, yeah. democracy itself brought a lot of power back to the people. Uh, so then you have where it went from only nobility was was educated enough and had the time and the resources to create, then all of a sudden 
power goes back in the hands of the people. Wow. Then you have a more sort of fundamental, very crude uh, art. So you'll so you'll see in the culture and in the arts, things definitely have this ebb and flow. Um, so I think we're in one of those periods right now where mm. we've had Hollywood and the media, the news media, have had a stranglehold, if you will. They've had the resources to create for maybe even century, let's say. Yeah. And then in the last several decades, it's gone back to the hands of the people. So we'll see where it goes from there. Whew. But there's you'll see a lot more talent coming out of the woodwork. Yeah. And you you also see, I think, at the beginning of uh, Hollywood's transition when it was first in the 1930s, 40s, I know that even then there was a board in America here in the United States mm -hmm. of Christians, pastors who actually Back when they filtered. Had yeah, when the church was so heavily influential, yeah. they filtered out. And there were movies about, oh my goodness, um, homosexuality oh, and yeah. things that even, the Bible... Even going back, a lot of people think that's a recent yeah. thing. But yeah. and, and of course, I don't think it was a it wasn't a majority at that time, right. but... Even then, people were wanting to express these things. Drug, sex, violence, yeah. And, and yeah, very old. And, and it was the church that said, uh, that's not in alignment with the culture that yeah. we want to have. And when you look at the movies that were approved, there were very clear lines of good and evil, mm -hmm. right and wrong. Yeah, and let's, even in the old Dracula, Van Helsing's not this powerful, like, hunters. Like, he's not Wolverine, you know? He's like, he's an old man mm -hmm. with a silver cross. Mm -hmm. And he's been sent by his the Vatican. His power comes from a higher authority, yeah. Yeah, and so his higher, he appeals to this higher authority. And Dracula's not, like, laughing at the cross. He he's, has to submit to it because right. the, they had an understanding the demonic has to bow to the holy. There's an objective good here. And yeah. the family was exalted. So what, what I'm trying to say is, like you said, there was this interest in the higher things, mm -hmm. virtues and righteousness. And then from the 1920s all the way, now we're at 2020, yep. you see this shift of power to the common. Do you think it's possible that common people, though, will want to be interested in what's holy again? I, th I think definitely, as we've said, the pendulum always swings back and forth. I think wow. we're going to see that in the coming decades. Well, that's hopeful. So, Looks good. Good note to end. Yeah, on. we can call that a, yeah. a good stopping point. We'll definitely have a lot to pick up on there. So. Yeah. So uh, we'll be back and uh, with Matt Hare talking about Christian arts and culture in the world and in the United States. Thank you so much for having me.